is for us to be uh, individuals who love as we demonstrate our faith in our great God. Um, we, I think we have a little bit of time here. So we haven't done this for a while. We haven't allowed you to share uh, a testimony of what God is doing in your life and in your heart and how he's using you. So I think we'll, we'll take just a few minutes to do that. Uh, anybody? And, and just wait for us to get a microphone to you so we can... Uh, uh, let that uh, be heard on the live stream as well. Uh, but if you have a testimony that you would like to share with us this morning, uh, please don't be shy, don't hesitate. Uh, go ahead and share that with us this morning. Cindy. First, I would like to thank the church for praying um, for my <clears throat> sorry for my cousin Raymond. And Roger. Uh, Raymond is the young man who had leukemia. Um, he's 60. Um, and God has given me the opportunity to share with him. And uh, he's asked me that when he feels stronger, on the days that he feels stronger, if he can call me and ask me things and about the Lord, if I would help him to learn because he feels comfortable speaking to me about those things. So I just want to thank you as a church body for your faithful, faithfulness to lift the situation in prayer. And I would also like to thank you for how you cover us. Um, God bless you all. Okay, so before we go on from that, let's just uh, pray for Raymond right now uh, and that he would uh, have good days this week and make lots of phone calls and Cindy would be able to share the truth with him. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning uh, in rejoicing, really, over what you are doing in Raymond's life. I remember when Cindy first talked to me about the situation, uh, there was some concern whether or not Raymond would want to listen to the truth. And you are working there, Father, and so we thank you for that. We ask now that you will give Raymond good days. We know that leukemia is something that will uh, eventually wear him down and perhaps even um, cause his uh, life on earth to cease. Uh, but Lord, we pray for the days uh, before that, that he will have good days. He will have days where he is able to think clearly. Uh, and on those days that he would reach out to Cindy, and Cindy would have the ability to communicate your love and your truth to him, and communicate in such a way that it will be easy for him to understand, and that he would uh, put his faith and trust in the work of your son on the cross of Calvary, and that uh, very soon we'll be able to hear a testimony from Cindy of how you brought Raymond to yourself, and you brought him to a place of understanding and putting his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And while we're praying for Cindy's cousins, we do want to pray for Roger. Uh, along the same lines, although he's healthy at this point, uh, we ask that again, you will work in his heart, soften his heart, and, and provide an opportunity for Cindy to communicate your love and grace to him as well. Thank you for Cindy's desire to share the gospel and to see her cousins come to know Jesus as their Savior. We pray these in Jesus' name. Amen. Someone else? Colleen. As you all probably know, I went on a, an amazing trip with my daughter for 10 days, and uh, it was great to spend time with her. We laughed a lot. We, we shared a lot. Um, on Easter Sunday, I was online. Saw you. Thank you. And uh, she actually asked me to turn it up. 
turn the volume up so she could participate too, which I thought was wonderful. Um, we met so many nice people down south while we were there, and it was just such a joy when when I held a door for someone and they said, instead of just saying thank you or ignoring, they said, God bless you. Hmm. And it was just, it just brought us, you know, to the realization that we're not alone up here. <laughs> People everywhere, little kids, you know, thank you, ma'am, excuse me, ma'am, I'm sorry, God bless you, ma'am. And it was just, just amazing. And I just wanted to say thank you to everyone in the church for praying for my safety and my daughter's safety. And, uh, we didn't have an incident, so we appreciate it. Amen. Let's just uh, thank the Lord for that safety and also uh, pray for Lisa, that God would continue to draw her closer to himself. She's made a profession of faith, correct? Um, and, and so we, we want the, to see her grow in her relationship with the Lord. Uh, and I, that's what I was praying while you were away, is that you would have opportunities. And I know you, you probably did, and I know you took advantage of those opportunities, uh, but that God would just continue to uh, build into her life. Scott Heath, would you pray along those lines, please? Dearly Father, I'd like to thank you for today. Thank you um, for uh, Colleen and Dave, Lord, and uh, their uh, presence in our church, Lord. I'd just like to pray for their daughter, um, for her salvation, for or not for her salvation, but for her growth with you, Lord. As uh, she's professed to know you, Lord, um, I just pray that she will grow and that uh, her words will not just be words, but they will be actions and they will manifest and they will be seen by those around her, Lord. Pray these things in your name. Amen. Jim. Um, I was thankful yesterday uh, with the coming of spring and this beautiful warm weather we're having or had been having until this morning uh, to get out on God's green earth and go for a long hike on Bishop Hill to visit with many friends along the way that I hadn't seen um, since the uh, long cold winter that we just went through. And I'm thankful to God for this spirit of uh, regeneration and hope for the coming year. Amen. Thanks, Jim. Others? Scott and then Paul. I think, uh, I'm sorry guys, I've, I've got a lot going on right now, um, I'm alright, but I think I'll just take this opportunity uh, to give you a quick update on Victor and uh, my friend Kevin. Uh, Victor, as many of you know, I minister to him daily, uh, he's in prison, he calls me for a 15 minute phone call, he's doing really, really well, he's looking forward to, uh, he'll be transferring to another brother in the Lord's house. Uh, Eric Jenkins, who is going to be uh, become an ordained minister this year. Eric is from, in the Jenkins family, are from Homer. And Victor is going to uh, be, in, be in their house because he has to parole in Pennsylvania. He doesn't have family that will welcome him back here uh, in New York. So uh, God has provided a way for him to not just have a place to go to next summer, but 
that will be probably the most nurturing place that I can possibly think of for his own spiritual growth. Uh, he's done so well in the last four years, taking everything in stride, listening to the Lord. Um, it, he sought out the Lord about three years ago when he could have uh, fought his, his case looking for an appeal, and the Lord told him, no, you need to be there in prison. If you weren't doing what you were doing in the first place, you wouldn't have been in the situation that had gotten you here. And he heeded those words rather than fought, and uh, which you know is his constitutional right. He listened and obeyed, and he's he's just come so far. He does have a daughter that's up here, and that bears a lot of weight on his mind every day. Uh, that his ex-in-laws are not allowing him to uh, have access to her. He doesn't know her, and uh, that's such a huge burden. So I think in that regard, you can be praying for him. Um, As for Kevin, Kevin OD'd on heroin on Christmas morning and uh, sought sought help uh, through a mutual friend of ours. I later, you know, got together with him and just continued to minister to him. He ended up getting baptized back in January. Uh, had some falling away and coming back again uh, just with the streets. Uh, but finally, uh, he found himself in the hospital, and the doctor said, that if you continue to do this behavior, you're going to make your heart explode, and you're just not going to make it like within the next year. You've done so much damage uh, to your body in the last 10 years, and he's only 21. Well, that's pretty much scared him straight. His brother got a hold of him, and he has since in the last two weeks gone up to Maine and has a wonderful opportunity doing uh, uh, remodels for Walmart. So he and his brother are up there in a very safe place, uh, financially secure, and uh, Kevin was just talking to me yesterday about getting a gym membership and learning how to eat right. So all of this is so very encouraging uh, to me is, you know, God has just allowed these people to just become a part of my life. Um, yeah, so that's, that's what's happening. <clears throat> Let's pray for Victor and Kevin. Our gracious Heavenly Father, again, we come before you, and we're thankful that we can pray for uh, folks that some of us have never met And yet we have a bond in Christ with them, and we see what you're doing in their lives. Father, what a testimony Victor has of one who came to know Christ as their Savior and now is shining as a bright light where you have placed him. Thank you for his willingness to be there and to shine there. And as Scott has shared, the opportunities that Victor had to pursue parole and yet believed it was your will for him not to do that. And so... As he shines his light brightly there in the prison, we ask that you continue to strengthen him and his walk with you. Give him opportunity to see fruits of his labor. We do pray for his relationship with his daughter. Uh, Lord, I know he must long to see her and to be reunited with her and even to communicate his faith with you to her that she might uh, understand and know you as well. Uh, But that's uh, probably something that's going to be again put uh, on the back burner for quite a while. So we pray for him that you would allow him in some ways to communicate to her and to express his love for her uh, with her. We think of Kevin, Lord, we are thankful for the work you're doing in his life. Lord, we pray that you'll keep him on track, keep him uh, focused on your goodness and your grace, help him as he works. Thank you for providing for him a steady job. We ask that you would help him to remain committed to um, 
the plan for good health and, and safety. Lord, uh, thank you for the time that Scott has been able to spend with him and the profession of faith that Kevin has made. And we would ask, Lord, that you would help him to grow in that, that he would, he would want to know you better and to rely upon you for the strength and the hope and the comfort that you bring into his life. Thank you again for your love that you have shared. Thank you for Scott and his testimony and his willingness to reach out to others and to be used by you to build in the lives of those who um, in some ways need it so desperately. Thank you again for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Paul. Well, first I just want to say good morning to everybody. It's just great to be here. Um, as you know, we had to go for, to a funeral last week, and uh, so we couldn't make it. But uh, just just two things here, and um, the first thing I wanted to say is that I have a friend, Barry, that I've been working with, and God has been, it's been a real challenge, and God's put that situation in there. Um, I'm at the point now in my life, faith is faith, and I'm secure in it, and I love the Lord, and I'm good with that. But Barry is um, very knowledgeable in many different faiths. And it's been a real challenge to talk to him about Christ. And he's challenging uh, my knowledge and uh, the word. And I thank God for giving me the right things to say at the right time. Um, I got to say that I'm really thankful that I've been listening all these years to, to you, Pastor, and other people in my life. Uh, but I would, you know, should like to pray for Barry. He's, he's there. He's acknowledging it. Um, but he still wants to run down his own road. And uh, it's, it's been a real challenge that way. The second thing is I just want to give thanks for the comfort that Christ gives us. As you know, we've had some physical challenges, both my wife and I. And um, we just went through more tests for my wife, and we find out Thursday what they're going to do. Um, but through all this, I just can't thank God enough and Jesus for his comfort, his love, and that feeling that we know it's in his hands. It's just, it's a comfort that, you know, I can't explain, mm. but it's just there. And uh, it's, I just thank God for it. It's just, it's just such a blessing. And I just, I can't imagine how people go through hard times in their lives without that comfort. So I just want to give thanks for that. Amen. Thanks, Paul. Carl, can you pray for Barry and then for Martha's uh meeting on Thursday and future treatments for her. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this chance to bring the Bram Halls before you, Lord. We think of um, Paul's from Barry that he's been witnessing to. We pray that you continue to give Paul wisdom and strength to have those conversations. We pray for Barry for a true um, faithful knowledge of you, Lord, and he would turn to you and seek you in his life, God. And we pray for Martha as she goes uh, for the, she's been through the testing and they're awaiting the results. We pray for them and just help them to continue to wait on, on you, Lord, and know that you're in control and just take it step by step, day by day, um, which, with whatever the test may say. Uh, just be with them through this whole process as you have been through the past couple of years and all the things they've been through, Lord. Help them to continue to cling to you and to look to you uh, during these trials. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Christina. I have an update for my grandmother. I call her after church to check up on her. She is home. 
doing well. Um, just she's feeling a little better than all the prayers that you guys have been doing for her answers. And she says uh, thank you guys for praying for her. And she's home, healthy, and recovering from her fall from before. Okay. Answered a prayer for Christina's grandmother's health. She fell. She was in the hospital, had some, some health issues, and then she fell. Uh, so that complicated things, but she's home, doing much better. Says thank you for your prayers, and thank you, Christina, for sharing that update with us. Any others? All right, then. Well, let's jump into our study this morning in God's Word. Today is one week after Easter, or as we refer to it, Resurrection Sunday. You remember last Sunday, uh, I told you that Resurrection Sunday is the most important day on the Christian calendar. And last week, we had the privilege of celebrating Uh, in a very specific way, the death and the burial and the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And you know, after a celebration, we're we're often on a high, we're very excited, we're thankful, we're we're happy, we're we're full of joy over what God is doing. And and the fact that our Savior hung on a cross and, and he was dead, there's no doubt about the fact that Jesus died on that cross. And as we mentioned last week, Satan and his host of demons thought they may have had a victory on that day. But you know what? Three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. He defeated death. He defeated death. He defeated Satan. And he defeated the grave. And he brought meaning to those words, it is finished, that he uttered on the cross because very truly, The stranglehold that Satan has over mankind was defeated on the cross. He defeated Satan and he defeated that stranglehold of sin that mankind was suffering from. Satan loved to have that stranglehold, that power over mankind. And when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, that power was broken. And, and that's what we were celebrating. And in my mind, our celebration uh, that we started with last Sunday, it was going to carry on throughout the week and throughout the, the month and throughout maybe even the year because we gather often and regularly to celebrate and to remember what our Savior had come to, come to do and why he came to earth in the very first place. And I'm so thankful that we had the opportunity of setting the tone of celebration and joyfulness last Sunday. But you know what? As the week wore on, that joy and that celebration kind of got sucked out of me. And I was a little bit discouraged Thursday and Friday. And, and then I got the phone call from Mike Compton. Hey, my mom's passed away. Can you do a funeral for us? Huh. Okay. God, you can do this. God, you can work in the situations, even though I'm not where I probably should be. I'm not focused on the joy and the celebration that, that I had on Sunday. I know that you can work through it. 
and we're not going to let Satan have a victory here. We're going to press through this. So um, I'm kind of speaking from a bit of vulnerability today. And, and I want to let you know that this message is probably more for me than it is for you. Sorry. But sometimes your pastor needs it. So what did I do? I went to the Word. I knew this would happen. <laughs> but I didn't want to say no to preaching this message. I shouldn't have been surprised, though. Because after a celebration, and after a high, after great joy and excitement, and enthusiasm, and happiness. Satan likes to steal that away. Been there? Have you ever experienced that? I know you have. I'm sure that you have, because it's not a, it's not a surprise tactic that Satan uses. He enjoys having us as Christians, as followers of God, to be discouraged and to be defeated and even, yes, to be depressed. The psalm that we're going to look at this morning comes from the heart of a man of God who was depressed, who struggled, and God put the antidote for that in the pages of Scripture. So as a result of the struggle, as I searched out God's word and God worked you know, you know me, I love music, right? It's kind of funny that God didn't give me a very good voice. But I love to listen to music. And music is something that God uses to encourage the followers of Jesus Christ. Especially when that music is God-focused and word-focused. And then I remind, reminded myself, hey, what have we been studying on Sunday mornings? We've been studying the attributes of our great God. We've been studying about the character and the nature and what our God is like and who he is. And so you know what? We need to take hope in those things. We need to take confidence in those things. We need to be encouraged by the very nature of who our God is. Talked about the fact that God is all-powerful. We talked about the fact that God is loving. We've talked about the fact, and here's the one that hit me, God is all-knowing. He's omniscient. So when I preached that message on September 26th about God being omniscient, he knew that we were going to walk through this on April 11th or the week leading up to it. And I could look back and I could say, thank you, God, for knowing the difficulties that we face as your children, as followers of God. And as we jump back into the study on the attributes of God, this is going to be a little bit different this morning, but I want you to know that our God is a God who is a giver of hope. He's a giver of hope. He's one who, when we are discouraged, if we look to him, he brings hope and he brings comfort. And you know what? As I talked to people on the phone or on Facebook or through uh, messages, I found out that other people in our church family this week had been struggling with difficult things and had been struggling with attacks from Satan and being discouraged and being depressed. So as I shared some things with them, God was saying, hey, you better listen to this first. 
You better pay attention first because you need this as well as they needing, need this. I can't tell you I don't know what was the source of their struggle, and I'm not going to tell you what the source of my struggle was, but a song came to my mind, as you can imagine. And the song went like this. Fighting for the truth and what is right. With my shield of faith, I am ready for the fight, and I'm proud to be serving as a soldier of the light. So what do we do? We stand in the shield of faith. And can I just stop here and remind you what faith is at this point? In Romans chapter 10, verse 17, Paul gives us an important component of faith. He says, so then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. What is the foundation? What is the source of our faith? The source of our faith is the word of God. And that's why I'm confident that as your pastor and as the leadership of this church, we are standing in the faith of the word of God. We make our decisions based on what the word of God says. And, and please hold us accountable to that. If we don't, you need to confront us with, about that. And we can talk about it. We can sit down and we can gather together and, and decide and, and move forward in it. I also thought of a another song, and it finds its roots in the Psalms. In fact, it's found three times within the matter of two Psalms, two different Psalms. Psalm 42, verse 5, Psalm 42, verse 11, and Psalm 43, verse 5. These, words are, these verses are worded almost exactly the same way. Let me read them to you. Psalm 42, verse 5 says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Verse 11 of the same psalm. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him the help of my countenance and my God. And then Psalm 43, verse 5 says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. For I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Would you stand with me? We're going to read together Psalm 43, verses 1 through 5. So, Timothy, you'll have to back up there to the beginning of the psalm again. Psalm 43, verses 1 through 5. Let me remind you just a little bit about this psalm. This psalm, we don't really know who wrote it, but there is some speculation that this was a psalm of David when he was battling the attacks of the wicked one. Some have suggested that this psalm was written after David heard from Jonathan that King Saul wanted to kill him. And after all that David had done for King Saul, I mean, remember, he defeated Goliath with God's help and and saved the kingdom for King Saul. But after all that David had done, Saul wanted to kill him. Wanted to put him to death. No wonder David was feeling down in his spirit. In fact, many have said that David was in a state of spiritual depression when he wrote this psalm. So read together with me Psalm 43, verses 1 through 5. David writes, Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. 
Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you that you are indeed the lifter of my countenance. You are the lifter of our downcast souls. You bring us hope, you bring us comfort, you bring us encouragement, and you do that through your word, through your son, and through your people. And Father, we are grateful this morning that we don't have to stay in a depressed state. We don't have to stay in a defeated state. But when we seek you out and we seek your word and we seek to worship with others, Father, we are encouraged, we are blessed, and we thank you for the truth found in your word. We ask your blessing this morning as we look into your word. Encourage us, we pray. Help us to find our hope and comfort in you. Because of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, as we read through this psalm this morning, the first thing that we see is a desperate declaration from the psalmist. A desperate declaration from the psalmist. David is saying, God, I need you. I need you. Sometimes we need to be reminded of that, that we, we need God. And we don't just need God when things are going poorly. We need God when things are going well as well. We need to remind ourselves that the good times come from God as well as the struggles that he allows to come into our life. But David is saying, God, I need you today. And you know what? There's nothing wrong for us as the children of God to cry out to God and say, God, I need you. We need to be reminded of the fact that we are dependent upon the power of our great God. There's a significant reminder from the psalmist in this text when things are not going right. We have a great need for the Lord, or perhaps maybe better said, we understand or we recognize, we see that need during difficult times. And so we may be quicker to look to the Lord for his help and for his direction, and that is exactly what the psalmist is doing here in Psalm 43. But you know what? The sad thing is oftentimes during those times of our greatest need, our struggles, oftentimes people turn away from God and they they run from the Lord and they feel, oh God, why did you put me here? Why did you let me suffer this difficult time? But instead, the psalmist reminds us, we must seek the face of our God. We must seek him in good times and in bad times, especially in the difficult times. Remember the old hymn? In times like these, it's actually not really that old of a hymn, hymn, but Ruth Jones penned the words to this song during the perilous days of World War II. Hearing the great numbers of young soldiers that were dying daily, she was moved to write these words. Listen to them. It goes like this. In times like these, you need a savior. In times like these, you need an anchor. Be very sure. Be very sure. Your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. The chorus says, in times like these, or the the next verse, in times like these, you need the Bible. My friends, 
The Bible is God's source. That's what we should seek when we need communication from him. In times like these, you need the Bible. In times like these, oh, be not idle. And then the chorus is, this rock is Jesus. Yes, he's the one. This rock is Jesus, the only one. Be very sure. Be very sure. Your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. Wow. In times like these, whatever you find yourself in, those perilous times, you need a Savior. Not for salvation, because if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you only need to be saved once. But sometimes in the battle, you need to look to your Savior who's been in the battle, the very darkest and deepest and desperate times of the battle. Satan, or Sa- our Savior has been there. He's been tempted by Satan. He's been attacked by Satan. And so when we find ourselves struggling and discouraged, we look to our Savior in times like these because he's the one. In fact, he is the only one. He is our anchor. He is the one that keeps us gripped to the solid rock. There's a place on the internet called the, the, namethathymn.com. They tell the story of this wonderful song in times like these. And the last paragraph of that story goes like this. So the words that Mother Jones wrote, and that's how she became to be referred to, she, that her and her husband started a ministry in Pennsylvania, um, and they used song and they used music to bring comfort and hope to, the, to many, many people. Uh, the words to that song Mother Jones wrote 50 years ago all ring more true today than they ever have. In our lives, whether we're talking about us as a society or within our own families, we will encounter storms of life, some which threaten to tear our whole ships apart. But if your anchor grips onto the solid rock, there is no storm that can destroy you. And you know what? David's cry here in Psalm 43 is very similar to the words of Ruth Jones's song, reminding us that in desperate times, in desperate times, we need an almighty, all-knowing, all-loving Savior like we had. As we read through the psalm this morning, let's ask ourselves a question. What was David looking for when he was crying out to the Lord? His desperate declaration, what was he looking for? Well, he says here in verse 1, Vindicate me, O Lord. This word vindicate has the idea of judging with the intention of declaring innocent. David wants the Lord to look at his life and help him to determine if he needs to make changes and then to have the wisdom to make those changes. And so that's what David is doing. He's crying out to God. He's saying, God, give me wisdom. Give me direction. Help me to know if there's something in my life that I need to change. Because none of us are perfect, right? And we need to seek God's wisdom and God's direction in those things. So he's looking, first of all, for vindication. If he's right, he also wants others to know that he is following the ways of God and that God does recognize that and honors that. He's also looking for deliverance because in the very next sentence, in the very next phrase, he says, Deliver me, O God from the deceitful and the unjust man. David is asking God to deliver him from those who are wicked around him. The men who have, those people who have no regard for the things of God. David understands the the heavy burden and how people just kind of weigh you down 
And he's saying to the, he's saying to God, God, give me victory over those. Help me keep my eyes focused on you and what you want me to do. So no matter what the source of our discouragement is, God is able to deliver us from that. I couldn't help but think of another song. In fact, it's another old hymn. And this is an old hymn because it was written in the late 1870s. But verse 1 goes like this. And this should encourage you. Tis the grandest theme through the ages rung. Tis the grandest theme for a mortal tongue. Tis the grandest theme that the world e'er sung. Our God is able to deliver thee. That should encourage our hearts if nothing else does. Our God, the one true God, the creator of heaven and earth, our God is able to deliver me. So not only is David crying out to his great God and declaring his need for God, but he's also saying, God, draw me near to you. God, draw me near to you. You see, when discouragement sets in and and discourage threatens to take over our lives, the best thing we can do is draw near to God. You get as close to God as you can in these difficult times. You know what? When we are far from God, it's not because God's moved away from us. It's because we're not where we need to be in our walk with God. The psalmist knows he needs to be closer to God. And here's a question. Can we ever be too close to our great God? Never. Never. We can never be too close to the one who has saved us, the one who has redeemed us, the one who has brought us into a relationship with him. What a blessing it is to know that no matter where we are in our walk with the Lord, we can always be closer. We can always enjoy him more and the fellowship that he wants to have with us. The psalmist knew that, and so do we. Here's the fact. David says, you are the God of my strength. Now, remember who David was. David was a great warrior. David had defeated Goliath. David had defeated countless numbers of Philistines. David had taken the nation of Israel to its pinnacle. Everybody, every nation of the world feared King David and his army. What does David say here? God, you are my strength. David didn't look at himself for his strength. He didn't look deep within himself to find strength. He understood where his strength came from. Over and over again, Scripture reminds us of the strength that we have in our great God. When we remember the power of our great God, it brings us hope. It brings us comfort. Here's just a few passages that speak of the power of God. Psalm 46, Psalm 46, verses 1 through 3. The same psalmist, David, says, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. Selah. You know what that word selah means? It means stop, slow down, think about what was just said. Go back over it. Wait and see if there's something we can learn from that. God is our refuge and our strength. 
a very present help in trouble. Isaiah, the prophet, chapter 41, verse 10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. And I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Again, God is telling Isaiah, who has a very difficult chore, a very difficult task before him. He says to Isaiah, fear not, because I am always with you. Don't get dismayed. Don't fret. Don't let your circumstances overwhelm you because I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And then if we go back almost to the beginning, well, to the, be, the beginning of the uh, nation of Israel moving into the promised land, in Exodus chapter 15, we see um, a victory song. We sing the song that the that the Israelites sang after God defeated Pharaoh in the Red Sea. We're not going to read the whole song. In fact, we're just going to read one part of the song, Exodus chapter 15, verse 2, where Moses and Miriam and Aaron are singing praises to God, and he says, The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. You see, my friends, our great God is powerful. Our great God is all-powerful. And our great God is able to deliver us and help us to move forward in our walk with him. That's the fact that God is our strength. But you know what else we see in Psalm 43? We see the fear. David says, why do you cast me off? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? And can I just say right here that the, this is a fear, but it's not reality. You see, David thought that God had cast him off. David thought that the enemy had victory over him. But that's not the truth. And sometimes we focus on things that are not the truth, and it causes us to fear. But it was a real fear, even though it wasn't true. It was a real fear for the psalmist. Casting off here means to be scorned by God, or at least in David's thinking, he was scorned by God. He thought that God had stopped listening to him, that God wasn't paying any attention to him. Now, you say, why, is that a, why was that a reality in David's life? Well, you remember that David, after Goliath, we don't hear from David a little bit, and then we hear from him next when Saul had been cast off by God. When Saul had stopped following the ways of God and stopped obeying God, and David was called in to play his harp to soothe Saul's spirit. David knew what it was to be cast off by God because he saw it in Saul's life. In fact, if Saul would have had his way being cast off from God, he would have killed David. On more than one occasion, he tried to kill David by throwing a spear at him in other ways, putting him in the heat of battle and things like that. But you know what? David was not cast off by God. And although it could have happened in that time period, David repented, David was looking for renewal, for restoration. But here's the good thing. The good news for you and I today, God will never take his Holy Spirit from us. We live in an age 
after the cross, after the death, after the burial, after the resurrection of our great God, our Savior Jesus Christ, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to us when he went back to heaven. And the Holy Spirit is with us and will never leave us until the day we see Jesus face to face. And then we won't need the Holy Spirit because we will be in the presence of God. But right now, he will not cast us off. Even though we are in distress, even though sometimes it may feel as though God is far from us, God will never leave us. But you know what? That's a lie from Satan. Satan wants you to think that God will leave you. Satan wants you to think that God will walk away from you. But praise God and thank God, he will not, he will not leave us. That brings us to the next thing in David's psalm here is the favor of God. So we move from the fear of God to the favor of God. And that fear of God was not founded, but the favor of God truly is founded. David says, oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your tabernacle. This is the truth, the truth of God. It not only sets us free, as Jesus said, but it removes the fear that God is not near. The truth of God is that I am with you. I will be with you. I will fight for you. I will deliver you. I will strengthen you. You see, the blessing of the truth is that God will never stop caring for us. God will never stop loving us. The blessing is that the truth keeps you and I as the body of believers, as followers of Christ, keeps us unified as the children of God. It, in fact, strengthens our faith. Remember, the truth of God's word is the very foundation. It's the bedrock for our faith. What you and I stand on must be, the, must be sourced in the word of God. We certainly can have our, our own ideas, we can have our, our, our opinions and our thoughts, and, and, but you know what? They must always be checked with the word of God. They must be founded on the word of God. We must, as a body of believers, stay true to the word of God. And that truth in the word of God keeps us unified as followers of God. Staying in the truth of God secures our favor with our great God. So David, he cries out to God. It's a desperate declaration from the psalmist. He, he, he acknowledges the fact that he needs God very desperately at this point in time in his life. And he also reminds himself that God is always near to us. And then we see in the rest of the psalm as it closes out, the deep desire of the psalmist. The rest of this verse in part three is one of those if-then type of statements. Let them, let your light and your truth bring me to your holy hill and to your tabernacle. If we allow that to happen in our lives, if we allow the truth of God to bring us to the place of God where we will worship God together with others, we will follow the light of the, of the truth of God. God will lead us into a place of worship, a place of restoration, and a place of hope. David longed to worship together with his brothers and sisters in the local assembly. You see, the desire of the psalmist's heart is to enjoy God 
and to worship him in joy and sincerity. Look there at verses 4 and 5 again here in Psalm 43. The psalmist says, Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and on the harp I will praise you, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. You see, what we see here from David's life when he chooses to worship together, to go to the place of worship, we see exceeding joy. My friends, when we are drawing near to God, when we are, we are asking God to be near to us, the place where we worship God together, the place where we adore the one true God, that results in joy. Exceeding joy. Now, what does that joy look like? Well, if we jump to the New Testament in 1 Peter, we see in chapter 1, verse 7, they, or Peter describes what that joy is all about. He says from verse 7, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Oh, that ought to... That ought to solicit a hallelujah from us. Joy inexpressible and full of glory. You see, as the psalmist continues in Psalm 43, it's easy to see what this joy leads to. But do you see what was happening here? And I can tell you that as I worked my way through this text, my spirit began to lift. My heart began to be encouraged in spite of the challenges of the week that had dragged me down. You see, when we commit to worshiping God, when we commit to the truth, when we commit to being people of faith, that that sorrow, that depression, it flees. It leaves us because we know that God is near. And it brings us exceeding joy. Don't, Don't you love the way Peter described it? Joy inexpressible and full of glory. Whose glory? God's glory, not my glory, not not anyone else's glory. It's God's glory. Not only does it bring bring us to exceeding joy, but it brings us to exuberant worship. Yes, I'm standing behind a pulpit in a Baptist church, and I used that phrase, exuberant worship. How do we do that? How do we do exuberant worship? Well, that's the result of this exceeding joy that David is talking about in Psalm 43. He desires to worship, but he doesn't want to just have half-hearted worship. He wants to worship with the harp, and he wants to praise his great God. The last psalm in the Jewish psalm, song book, the book of Psalms, describes the kind of worship David prescribed for the children of God. Let me just read it for you, Okay. And, and it's, it's an amazing psalm. It's a psalm that brings us hope. It's a, it's a song that excites us, if you will. David says in Psalm 150, Praise the Lord! Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. 
That's all about the character of God. And you know what, my friends? The character of God does not change. It's the same today as it was yesterday, as it was last week, as it was when David wrote Psalm 43 and Psalm 150, and it'll be the same on into the future. Because of his character, because of his nature, we praise the Lord. And then he goes on and he says in verse 3, Praise him with the trumpet. Praise him with the loop and the harp, the lute and the harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with high-sounding with high cymbals. Praise him with the clash of loud cymbals. That's kind of some of the instruments that they used in the Old Testament. Some of the forms of worship in the Old Testament that we see um, coming from David's experience as one who led in worship in the Old Testament. This worship was not quiet worship. This worship was not subdued worship. This worship was loud. This worship was noisy. This worship was exalting the one true God. With the trumpet, with the lute, and the harp, and the tambourine, and the dance, and the strings, and the pipe, and the cymbals. They used drums in the Old Testament to worship God. And then he moves on to verse 6. He says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. You praise the Lord. Let everything that has breath. You and I. We have breath. We should use it often to praise the Lord. The animals around us have breath. You know what? They use it to praise the Lord. Did you wake up to the birds chirping this morning? Did you go to sleep with the peepers sometimes at night? You know what they're doing? They're praising the Lord. (laughs) That's what they're using their breath for. You see, another antidote for depression and downheartedness is heartfelt worship of God in the house of God with the children of God. People say to me, Pastor, I don't feel like coming to church today. You know what? You ought to be here. I'm discouraged. You ought to be here. I'm downhearted. You ought to be here. Because when you sing praises to God, when you lift the name of God, when you glorify God together with a body of believers, you are worshiping, you are exhorting, you are extolling, and you know what? You can't help but rejoice. Went to visit somebody one time with one of my deacons in South Africa, and the person said, oh, I I just can't come to church, I don't feel like it. And the deacon said, hey, if that's the way you feel, you need to be in church. You need to be. Why do you think it says in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. And then it goes on to say, but so much more as you see the day approaching. Why? Because your being in church is an encouragement to somebody else. And you and I need that encouragement. We need to be encouraged by the presence of others in the body to worship our great God. Well, we, we move from exceeding joy to exuberant worship. And then we, here's another one for you, ecstatic hope. You and I have ecstatic hope. The next question the psalmist asks comes as though the psalmist is talking to himself. Okay, we read it, but let me read it again to you. In verse five, the psalmist says, why are you so downcast, O my soul? 
After everything God has done for us, after all that you know about the one true God, why are you cast down in your spirit? Hmm. Good question to ask yourself. You watch NCIS at all? Anybody like NCIS? What, what, is, what is Gibbs known for? The head slap. David's giving himself a head slap here. Why are you cast down inside of yourself, soul? Stop it! You have no reason to be downcast. Why are you disquieted within yourself? In other words, he's saying, why have you stopped praising God? Why have you stopped encouraging others? Don't do it. Seek God's deliverance, his direction, remember his hope, and keep speaking the truth. My soul, you have so much going for you. You have the privilege of worshiping and adoring the one true God. Why are you cast down in your spirit? There's no reason for it. There's no reason to stop having hope. Because God is our hope. God is the reason for joy. Because we have no reason to be quiet, because we have no reason to be downcast, we have hope. And when we have hope, we praise the one who gives us the reason of our hope. And you know what the result of the hope is? The hope is that our countenance is lifted. Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown explains it this way, what it means to have your countenance lifted. It means to be cheered up. (laughs) He goes on to say, it means to have the clouds of sorrow driven away from one's face. That's what it means to have your countenance lifted. To have the clouds of sorrow driven from your face. We have ecstatic hope because of our great God and our Savior. Sometimes things don't go as you might plan for them to go. Sometimes challenges come and difficulties come. But the important thing is that we do not have to give in to those sorrowful and depressed times. We don't have to give in to the trials that come our way. Instead, what do we do? We do exactly what David did in Psalm 43. We seek the Lord. We seek his help and his strength. We trust the Lord. We must follow the truth and stand firm in the word of God. The word of God drives away despair and it brings back hope. It allows us to enjoy true worship and revival in our hearts and in our souls. And it brings us a renewed commitment to love and serve our great God. So we can let despair rule the day or We can allow that despair to be turned into hope and we can trust our great God for only the best in all things. This hope allows us to bless the Lord with all that is within me. Yes, to bless his holy name. Our gracious heavenly father, we come before you today.